Welcome everyone back to Detroit Rising. This is Chad Livengood, Senior Reporter at Cranes Detroit Business. This is a weekly show on Business Wrap and CranesDetroit.com that focuses on Detroit's revitalization and talking to business and political and civic leaders about what it is that Detroit needs to do next to kind of keep this nascent revitalization going and how does it kind of fit into the big picture of, of Michigan's future. This summer we are interviewing candidates for governor who, uh, who are running Running uh, in the August 7th primary in the Republican and Democratic uh, primaries, talking to them about these issues. And this week we are joined by Senator Pat Colbeck. He's a Republican from, from Canton Township in, in Wayne County, and he is running in the Republican primary. Welcome to, to the program this week. Hey, great to be with you, Chad. Well, t- talk us a little bit about what what's your agenda. If you're elected governor, how will you approach Detroit? Um, and how will you approach Detroit any differently than Governor Rick Snyder has or, or Granholm or Engler or you know, other past governors? Well, first, let me be clear. My, my Detroit agenda is really a Michigan agenda. Okay. And, and I believe it's important that we treat all of our municipalities and all of our people across the whole state, whether or not they're in the middle of Ontonagon, up near uh, Copper Harbor, up in the Keweenaw Peninsula, whether or not they're up in Muskegon or Saugatuck, where I'm going later, or Detroit. Obviously, as somebody who's grown up in southeast Michigan, I've got an affinity for Detroit. I used to pump gas at my grandpa's gas station on his mobile station on McGraw, and uh, back when we used to have full-service gas station. And mm-hmm. uh, so I appreciate that. But what I've found is that every time Detroit's population changes, there's 52 or so laws that have to get changed. And Detroit's gotten a lot of special treatment, and it hasn't always been for its benefit, frankly. And so... What I think we need to start doing is respect Article 1, Section 1 of the Michigan Constitution, treat everybody equally, and have policies that benefit everyone. And I think I've got policies here that will help grow Michigan. And when people are looking at places to set up shop, of course they're going to be looking at the city of Detroit. But uh, not because they're steered into the city of Detroit, but because it's a great place to go off and set up and do business. So what uh, type of policies are there? I mean, uh, revenue sharing is an area where people have always thought Detroit had a, a better advantage. Oh, absolutely. There's all kinds of past deals and, and a lot of politics wrapped up in that. Would you change that? Uh, well, actually, I've been a pretty big proponent of making sure we shift state resources and put them out to the locals. But the bigger agenda, frankly, is the idea of pursuing broad-based economic development uh, policies. And what I mean by this is that you get out of the game of picking winners and losers, um, and where somebody who has good access to the MEDC or Michigan Strategic Fund gets preferential treatment for their project. Um, maybe you get legislation that is specifically targeted at a specific business or company or region. And we want to get away from those types of policies and actually set it up so that anywhere people come in Michigan, they're going to be treated as a customer and they're going to be treated with respect and we're going to have the best business environment of any state in the country. And the way you go off and do this, and I'm an old management consultant, I know how businesses operate, I'm a small business owner myself, and is you lower the total cost of business operations. I mean, that's what all these tax incentives and grants and are, are all about in the first place, right? That's what all the MEDC and MSF is doing. They're taking taxpayer money and distributing it out to their friends and family. Well, we want to make sure we have everybody having an equal access to it. So if you go off and pursue a broad-based economic development policy that lowers the cost of government by eliminating the state personal income tax and senior pension tax, which I, I have a plan to go off and do, if you lower the cost of health care, which 
Um, if you make Michigan the center of a free market healthcare revolution, we're going to have a lot of traffic over the bridge from folks in Canada looking to get good access to care. And if you lower the cost of electricity by pursuing 100% energy choice and letting everybody get 10 to 20% less um, on their uh, electricity rates, that's a broad-based economic development incentive that not only do the citizens of Detroit benefit from it and the businesses wanting to come to Detroit, but businesses all across the state. And oh, by the way, it's not just a business incentive, it's also a family incentive. And the best part about this, especially on the income tax side, Michigan becomes a 0% income tax, 6% sales tax state. All of a sudden now we're competing with the fastest growing states in the country, which are uh, Florida, Texas, Tennessee. They're at 0% income tax, 7% sales tax. If There's no better way of signaling, come on back to Michigan for all of our expats that have gone off and left the state and separated families in Michigan to say, guys, come on back to Michigan. We, we're promoting not only business growth here, but also the growth of families. So how, how do you maintain the current state government services if you get rid of the income tax? we got a milestone-based approach that's very systematic. You don't introduce one bill and say, poof, there's no more income tax. That's not what I'm proposing. Okay. What I do is it's about a $9.7 billion gap you got to go off and fill. Mm-hmm. And the first step in that is to look at the single largest line item in the Michigan state budget, and that's Medicaid, $18 billion. Now, before everybody says, oh, you're going to go off and <laughs> cut medic- medical access to the poor, that's, that's not it at all. What I've done and what we're going to be kicking off here actually in the city of Detroit is a direct primary care Medicaid pilot. It offers the opportunity to provide better care and actually save taxpayers money by f- focusing on preventive care. Um, it's been estimated that we can save as much as 20% on, for the taxpayers for the delivery of this care. 20% of an $18 billion line item is $3.6 billion against that 9.7. Now, it requires Medicaid block grants from the feds, which is something that's been in the offing for a while, and I've mm-hmm. written papers on this up at Forbes.com, the case for Medicaid block grants. Um, we've got a friendly administration. I worked hard in the Trump transition team to help them out to get free market advocates into HHS up there. So I think we're teed up and ready to roll on that. The other area is let's look at uh, uh, targeted tax incentives. Right now, the MEDC has about and the uh, Michigan Strategic Fund both account for about a billion dollars in our state budget. Uh, if you dispense with the targeted tax incentives and actually have a broad-based tax incentive, uh, you can do away with those uh, that one billion dollars there. So now you're down to uh, what was it? Uh, Nine point seven to three point so six point one. Now you're down to five point one billion dollars all of a sudden. Now if you actually go off and increase the number of jobs that we have in our state, like we've done over the last eight years, the private sector jobs increased by over five hundred thousand private sector jobs. Well, when people are working, they're paying more taxes, and not just income tax. They pay sales tax and use tax uh, and property taxes. So. If you go off and get 500,000 more jobs, um, you're also not paying for government assistance for, I estimate, about a quarter million um, folks that are currently receiving about $6,000 a year in government assistance. When you tally up all the numbers, that's about a $1.9 billion um, uh, against that uh, gap. Now you're down to, what, $3.2 billion. And so you keep on going down there. You can get corrections reform in there and criminal justice reform, improving recidivism rates and lowering the cost of actually delivering quality uh, correction services to enact not just warehousing service but correction services. Um, that's another $300 million there. We've got these um, uh, sales tax fraud that's happening here in the state of Michigan. Um, my old former colleague, uh, Senator John Papa George, estimated it's about a billion dollars 
that we lose every single year without uh, from just simple fraud on sales retailers tax. not not reporting sales exactly and usually it's done with a device called a zapper and they've done a sting operation on that a few years back where 17 out of 20 cash register vendors um, were offering the zapper and the only purpose of it is sales tax fraud for cash-based transactions remember Lashish restaurants 20 yeah. million dollars to I think it was to Hamas um, uh, they use this sales zapper, uh, the zapper technology to hide the money. And, um, and it's estimated by, by my colleague to be about a billion dollars a year. So now we're down to what, uh, 2.1 billion or so, um, in doubt and, or actually now with the, so probably 1.8, but you get the idea. We're, right. we're within striking distance okay. of completely eliminating it. And the rest of what I do is actually focused on performance based contracts and a reorg of the state budget or the of the state uh, operations. So I'm an old management consultant. First thing I do is look at the org chart, and I think there's a lot of things we can do much more efficiently than we're doing today. When's that pilot program for Medicaid direct primary? July 1st. And where, where is it being conducted? It's going to be down at Samaritan Center is one of the places out in Detroit, but mm-hmm. it's through um, Salta Direct for, uh, Primary Care in partnership with Trinity Health, and uh, also I think Henry Ford Health System is involved on that as well. Yeah, oh, there's, there's another primary care doctor over on the southwest side I'm familiar with, too. So. Uh, there's, uh, if you talk to uh, Plum Direct with yeah. Dr. Paul Thomas. Yeah, Paul Thomas, yeah. that's what I'm thinking yep. of, yeah. Yeah, had him on, we've had him on the podcast actually before. So. Yeah, and I've had him at all my free market forums all across the state. Okay. He's been in a few of them along with Chad Savage and Dr. John Blanchard. So we're building a network of free market practitioners of health. Now back on economic development for a second, you yeah. talk about uh, Michigan Economic Development Corporation picking winners and losers. And uh, this administration uh, started off trying to basically shun and square off tax credits. Yep. Had all this reform in 2011, gutted a lot of tax credits out of the out of the code, the yep. individual tax credits. We had to keep the the uh, mega business tax credits uh, yep. on the books till 2030. Yeah. Um, but then uh, <laughs> came back around uh, to um, the idea of incentives of tax capture incentives. This uh, brownfield uh, um, redevelopment uh, legislation that Dan Gilbert uh, yep. uh, lobbied for, we called the Gilbert Bills, and then you had also these uh, this and other incentives called the Good Jobs Bill. For yep. when if you record, if you if you created new jobs, you could capture fifty to one hundred percent of the, of your employees' income tax for um, up to ten years um, or more, yep. and and so. The, all those incentives have now been being put in motion. Uh, Gilbert's got uh, $600 million of incentives wrapped around $2.1 billion of investment. And yeah. um, so to, to, for redevelopment in downtown that he says otherwise couldn't be accomplished without without these incentives. Do, do you buy that? No. Actually, I voted no against both of those bill packages, and I highlighted that that's exactly the wrong direction. All that money that's being put in those packages if you spread it out to more than one, or I think it was up to 15 different uh, projects that were available for it, and you said, and instead use that money so that all these small businesses in the state could actually thrive. They may not be, uh, may not look good on somebody at MEDC's resume saying I brought in 3,000 jobs, but what you're going to see is, you know, business small business A is going to bring in two jobs, small business B is going to bring in another five jobs, small business C is going to bring in another 10 jobs. I mean, it doesn't look good on some economic development guy's resume, but it looks good on the bottom line for those businesses. And when you eliminate the state personal income tax, these small businesses are pass-through entities. 
they, when you eliminate four and a quarter percent from their bottom line, that means they got more money to go off and hire people, pay them more, or be more competitive in the marketplace. And so we got to, I, I understand people are looking for the headlines, and that's what these bills were. They were headline bills, but, uh, you know, we got to look at the bigger picture. Some of the folks that may not have all the PR um, capabilities of uh, Dan Gilbert or whatever, but there's a lot of folks that are just looking for ways to go off and help make ends meet and be more successful in their small business. So would a Governor Kobach uh, uh, move to eliminate these incentives? Absolutely. Yeah. Even even the ones that have already been granted? No, I can't. A promise made is a promise kept, whether it's yeah. to retirees, or Detroit, retired Detroit police and firefighters, or whether or not it's um, you know uh, uh, business uh, agreements that have been put in place. But um, we, we've definitely got to be careful going forward on, on those and obligating future generations to some bad deals. As you said, mega credits are out till 2030. I mean, that's that's going to be a chain around our, our state budget neck for quite a while. Well, and to that point, um, that, that Michigan business tax that was so hated by so many people, yeah. the automakers and the way their credits work, they yeah. like the, the tax. Yeah. Uh, I've always wondered whether, whether, <laughs> whether we get to 2030 and, and they say, uh, we want that tax code to, to continue for us. Well, they, they like a lot of the other aspects of what I'm proposing here as well. I mean, when you actually reduce the cost of health care by as much as 20%, that's not just for Medicaid. That's across the board for um, private insurers as well. We spend about $36 billion a year in the state of Michigan on, on health care alone, and a lot of them's coming from the big three. And, right. and uh, so they'll see co- cost savings in other areas. we got to look at the, the uh, whole... Um, picture, not just the uh, targeted tax incentives on it. We've done a lot of things that have benefited them in the um, you know, over the last eight years to make sure that we have this growth going on. I led the effort to make Michigan a right-to-work state, which is you know generally one of the preconditions that simplifies the interface between management, rank and file, and frankly gives the rank and file a voice. Finally, and when they had their their uh, union management sometimes wouldn't listen to them, and it creates a much better work environment in that context. So. Um, we've done a lot of good things, I think, overall for the automotive, and I've led most of those efforts. So um, I think uh, we just got to refocus them. Instead of these targeted little incentives and, and then niche little uh, benefits, we got to look at the big picture. So how are you going to get all this done? I mean, you talk about taking on Medicaid and all these managed care companies that are yeah. wrapped around it, big business, Blue Cross, Blue Shield. You talk about uh, um, breaking up the monopoly yeah. with, the, with the utilities, consumers, and DTE. Um, there's a lot of lobbyists that will be out uh, trying to run and gun and, and take down the Colbeck agenda. Yeah, you think? Um, no problem. I mean, I've, uh, first of all... Well, how are you going to get the votes? You message around, you message directly to the people. And when you're in the governor's office, you got a little bit better bully pulpit than you do as one of 38 state senators. And that's something that President Reagan did exceptionally and when he had a split Congress and uh, also something that... President Trump's doing. I mean, I don't have quite the number of Twitter followers that President Trump has, but uh, we've got some work to do on, uh, we can go directly to the people. And I think that's the beautiful thing that I found campaigning throughout the state is when people hear my message, it resonates. And I think the same thing will happen when you actually expose some of the motivations of some of these lobbying groups. And they're not looking for the best interests of everybody, they're looking out for their own best interests, which is understandable. They get paid to go off and do that. But ultimately, I'm put in a position where I'm supposed to be representing the best interests of everybody in the state, and I'll make sure that that case is made loud and clear. We've been talking with Senator Pat Kolbeck, a Republican from Cannes Township. He's a candidate for governor here on Detroit Rising. Thank you for joining us this week, sir. I appreciate the opportunity, Chad. Knock him alive and, uh, 
and I uh, look forward to seeing you again. Take care. Thanks a lot. I'm Chad Livingood from Cranes Detroit. You've been listening to Detroit Rising here on Business Rep and CranesDetroit.com.